It's the 21st of November, Monday, 7 o'clock. Well, slightly after 7 o'clock. It's time for the audio podcast. Hooray! It's show 36, challenging. Awesome. And we're just the two of us, actually. Um, after, usually we have to go in and add presenters to the um, to show notes, but this week we'll be taking one away. Oh, <laughs> harsh. <laughs> harsh, indeed. But... Let's get on with the notes. Let's see what's happening this week. And Well, the, the first item I'd put into the show notes for this week is I went to a concert on Saturday. was very fortunate to have, to have got an invite to a concert. So I went down to Birmingham to see The Beast at Birmingham Electroacoustic Sound Theatre. Um, and, our, what, well, two of our presenters who are sometimes here who aren't here today were, you know, one of them was also at the show. So I thought it'd be cool. We'd just chat about our experiences of it. But as he, as they're not here, that won't be very interesting. And this isn't a Scott monotribe on these matters. No, so, um, I, I wasn't there, so I don't have much to say. I mean, so I there we go. Be- Other than the fact that you know the beast is cool, it's a whole load of loudspeakers in a room. It, it's it's a lot of fun. There you go. You can find out more about it. it was it was an okay concert. There, that's all I have to say about it. Okay. Shall we just move on? <laughs> Which is perhaps high high praise for an electroacoustic concert from you, Scott. I don't know. In, indeed, it is. Indeed, it is. Actually, um, there was a the very the first piece of the final concert, something called Beast Test, was a uh, I, I found to be a, a very light-hearted kind of piece of humorous fun, which um, I, I thought was really quite nice. And you know, I, I enjoyed it, and I would you know, it, it was a fun piece, and it kind of helped me to move get through the whole concert, which was cool. Great. So there you go. <laughs> anyway, there we go. Uh, maybe I should put the notes. I, I'll try and find the name of the guy off my notes, which aren't here, and put it into the link as well if we want to, so we can have that. Yeah, because it doesn't. The thing that you linked, the thing that is linked to from wiki.theaudiopodcast.co.uk does not mention that piece. I don't think. So. No, no, but there we go. It's, yep. it's all good. It's all good. It's all good, isn't it? It's all good. So, uh, should we move on to the the show items? Yep. So. Well, the rest of the show items, I guess. So the next item is linked as used digital music, and this is um, a story about a company called Redigi, who've been, who were offering the world's first online marketplace for used digital music, or well, that was their idea. Um, Till the RIAA got in on the act, and they don't think that that's really fair. So we're back in the territory of copyright infringement and what and what does not comply and what's allowed and what's not and oh it all gets a bit frustrating for me to be honest these stories but it's it's good that this yeah it's... we've got to talk about them because it's relevant and it's relevant in the question of how relevant are you know they're trying to apply laws that were written a long time ago and to stuff which is happening now and well this story is a prime illustration of how messy it gets well, it it is indeed, and it's. I I think the main legal defense that's currently available here is the idea that Apple aren't licensing ownership. Apple are granting ownership in their kind of user license when you use iTunes. So it's it, so when you purchase from iTunes, because of the iTunes wording, you it could be interpreted that you're actually being granted complete ownership of that file rather than a license to use the file in a particular manner. Now, and obviously if you own a thing, then it's you're within your rights to sell that thing. 
Whereas if it's licensed to you, it can be specifically licensed to you without the right to resell it. Yep, you can't transfer the license. You can only have the license for yourself. But this now, so what Redigi were doing, we should perhaps say what's been going on here, is the way their marketplace worked was you would submit a an MP3 that you've legitimately downloaded and paid for, and there they would check that it's not just been ripped off of the CD and that it is, as you say it is, with their forensic verification engine. And then somebody else would say, yes, I'll buy that from you. And they would the file will be deleted from your system and would appear on their system. Yep. Thereby being sold. The problem that the RIAA have with that position is that you're not actually moving the file. You're making a copy of it. Even if you're deleting the old copy, you are making a copy of it. And so that's infringement of the copyright. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. To be honest, you know, I'm going to come at this from a different angle for a minute, which is for once, I probably, I, I wouldn't side with the RIAA from a, from a philosophical or political standpoint whatsoever, but I think... I, I think what they need to what this is just a prime illustration of the fact is that they just need to drive they need to try and work harder to drive the cost of you know to either drive the value that people will perceive in terms of we're willing to pay more for this up or else they have to drive the the costs the costs down so they can charge less because really th- this isn't a service which is in any way I don't think it's akin to the secondhand music shops kind of idea because Secondhand music shops were awesome because you could go in and there would literally be thousands of CDs of things you'd never heard or kind of old dated stuff that you maybe knew about but you'd never had the opportunity to own. And you could kind of pick up that sort of back catalogue stuff and enjoy it. And yeah. and it was nice. It was a great experience. And you kind you know, and all the secondhand record shops did so much more stuff. You know, they tended to sell the tickets, they did tickets for local events, they promoted local events, you'd meet a whole load of like-minded people and and you know people knew what you know people know what a second-hand record shop did whereas this service is i can understand their frustration at this kind of service because this is essentially a way of somebody gets a piece of music so much of the music nowadays is so kind of you know i mean it's like you enjoy it for a couple of weeks and then you just get rid of it it's sync their singles increasingly rather than albums and you know i mean i i can see where the frustration is here because if people are just going to start being able to buy things a couple of weeks later than when it, you know than when it's trendy for very little money and obviously very little of that resale. Well, actually, I don't think any of the resale money is actually going back through to the artists, is it? It tends to be. No, I guess it wouldn't. Yeah, because I, I can understand the first. You know, I can understand the reason for getting frustrated at it. At the same point, you know, I mean, they they need to try and visit it. It's like I think we talked about it last week, or maybe the week before we mentioned it. It's you know, it's this whole idea that you've got to make it easier to do the right thing. You, you know, what I mean, than than it is to do the to not do the right thing, and the right thing maybe on a whole variety of terms. But I'd certainly encourage people to you know, if you're going to buy a single, you might as well. Well, I'd, I'd encourage everybody to buy things from the artist, to be honest, directly if you can, rather than going for any intermediary service and. You know, I mean, that's you know, that that's I guess just how I feel about it. I think as a, you know, yeah. I'm just trying to be honest. I'm thinking if somebody was reselling my music, if you know, if they're buying my music and then selling it on again, maybe. But it's interesting how old. Yeah, I'm. I'm just thinking. But if you 
you know, when you see all these secondhand CDs now and they're like, you know, in various kind of shops, I have my suspicions that a lot of people rip their CDs before they sell them. Ooh, no, surely that's not allowed. <laughs> oh, exactly. Surely it isn't, but you know what I mean? I think that's interesting. But yeah. Mm. I, but then where would we end up? In some sort of world where you have to, it's illegal to sell sell music to each other unless you're a company? Or, or, or even to cop... Well, I have... Okay, so here's, here's a situation which comes into a similar category. So imagine you've got some music playing in your house and you also have a... Um, you make a short video of something happening in your house at the same time. Yeah. So the music is in the background because it was there. You've now made a copy of that music, albeit a low fidelity copy of that music, onto your video. So you now have a video which contains copyright music. And are you allowed to... I mean, it, first of all, is that legal in itself? Is that infringement of copyright? And then if you wanted to then share that video with people via the internet, would you be infringing copyright through doing that? Hmm. Well, yes is the answer, isn't it? You are infringing that copyright. Well, with the distribution, I can, can see it probably yes, definitely. But just by making the recording alone, is that the, does the infringement happen then? Well, I guess the, the, infringe, the infringement they're most interested in prosecuting is the, is the one that you make money from or they think you could make money from or potentially somebody else might make money from. So it's probably yeah. the point you would upload the video to somewhere that the infringement they care about occurs. But I have my suspicion that the infringement they would probably go after is the one that you actually, is the infringement you make when you hit record. Does that? Yeah, so they're only interested at the point where somebody is making revenue, say, through the advertising on YouTube or something, whereas... Yeah. But then when they, once they got obsessed about that, they would, they would go after you for pressing record in the first place. Yeah, I think so. I think that's, I think that's where they would probably that that's probably how, how how it would go. I I I would guess. I don't know. It's um, I'm when when I, I, when when roughly were these copyright laws put in place? Is this are we talking about when recorded audio was first started, or what? Is it or is it older than that? Even is it did it actually reply to print? Well, a, a lot of it was initially would would have been print based. Though print is actually quite interesting because if you think about it. The, the ability, the issues are very contemporary because they're all driven by the ease of copying, aren't they now? So in the print world, it probably wasn't, you, you can imagine the photocopier was the big enabler. You know, the photocopier yeah. turned out and now you could photocopy stuff. But it actually turns out that the photoco photocopiers are still very expensive. So I, I think the reason why the kind of piracy of books is only, because it, it does go on now, I'm saying it's, you know what I mean? That that kind of thing does does kind of happen now, but I think it's really the home scanner which made that kind of market appear, you know, that kind of mass market, that kind of thing appear. So yeah. I think these issues are all are all very contemporary, and they probably do require some sort of re-legislation. But I think that re-legislation has to be very carefully done, and it, I think we have to consider what sort of world it is we want to that we want to get out of it, rather than just kind of protecting what could possibly be described as dated dated business models sort of style because yep who's who's legislating for who like who's looking out for whose interests yeah should we leave that there i, I think so let's leave that there but i'm sure we will come back to this again and again and again and again as we <laughs> as we inevitably end up doing anyway but 
the audio podcast we like to see what's happening in the world of audio and technology and technique and stuff so the first thing the first story the first news item which relates to the show title challenging is the a new sound design challenge um at sounddesign.org yep doomsday is coming so that's what they say um so the challenge is to do the sound design for a um a video advertisement piece that's in a 1950s style yep or something uh, submissions are due are due uploaded by december the 8th yeah yeah and when did this go live a few days ago was it yeah i think so yeah so it's yeah yeah the 17th that was so that's thursday so you yeah you've lost a few days but you've got a few weeks if you want to do this um there's a few rules that limit what you can do with it but beyond that it's open and I had a quick lead through the um, Sound Design Challenge general rules and stuff. And it's quite interesting the way they do it. It's all peer-reviewed, so cool. anyone can volunteer to judge the competition. Mm. Yeah, it's very true. And you can't use any music. Nope, it no is, music in this one. Which I'm guessing is entirely a licensing. Well, has has a big licensing background to it, I suspect. And it's also part of the challenge. I think philosophically they're interested in making... In, they talk about the rules being either a, a goal or a set of blocks to prevent you from doing certain things that, which you have to navigate in order to force yourself into creative solutions. Yeah. There, there is a, yeah. Further down in the show note, in the note com- comments about it, some interesting discussions, people asking if a synth drone would, ca- would be music there or... Oh, yeah, well... Yeah, they they are fine though. Right? Uh, try to avoid anything that becomes too rhythmic or has a defined phrase structure. There you go. That's uh, apparently. There is you the... go. That's that's where sound becomes music, is it? Uh, sound design. That's the... <laughs> yeah, according to according to the comments in the uh, on, on it there, I, I just found that quite interesting. Thought I thought I would go and have a look at it, so hence I did. Yeah. Cool. So that's a that's a that's a fun puzzle. That was well, not a fun puzzle. It's a fun. It's uh, a fun challenge. That's really cool. We like the guys that design sound, so we should definitely... Yeah, that's cool. Should um, we go on? Yeah, I suppose. I did come across... I'll say that through there, I I didn't write down the... But two clicks away from the thing was a um, quick and dirty monitor calibration little tutorial they posted. So anyone entering this competition should have a look around where they advise the best way to set up your speakers for loudness so that you know that what you yeah. submit is at the right level for what it would be judged at, I suppose. Which is just general, it's just another yeah. good thing. I, yeah, I, shall I add the li- I could add the link onto the wiki maybe for that? Maybe. Yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah go that. for it. That'd be fine. That'd be fine. <laughs> um, moving on, uh, Nomad Factory have released uh, Magnetic 2, which is the uh, reel-to-reel audio tape warmer. Oh. Yep, so this is VST. Is it just VST or is it, no, uh, it's no, audio unit, RTS and VST? That's right, yep. Uh, 32-bit and 64-bit supported as well. And you, you can have up to, uh, you can authorize the software on up to three computers. That's kind of cool. That's pretty good. So you can add some tape warmth, as they would say. Yes, tape warmth. I, I have actually, I, I have used the earlier version actually, and it was, I, I forget what the particular purpose I used it for was, but it, it did actually... It, it it was nice actually. It it really worked quite well. Um, I I love the way that 
I, I love the way that kind of authentic modeling is just kind of it's just it's just taking over everything here. So they they're including a uh, nine tape models that give you the authentic sound of famous vintage tape machines. <laughs> it's just these. Like I really like that. Authentic tape models. Wow. I wonder like at what yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to get some authentic flutter and wow going on. <laughs> yeah. Well there, there is there is the separate controllable parameter wow and flutter as well. So. Yes, yes indeed. And and the magnetic tape color, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what I mean. Yeah. I it it's it's fascinating, isn't it? Because I, I I've been doing this long enough to to have had a little well, you know, to have done cassette, to have done AIDA, had a little kind of you know, I had had a brief kind of foray with tape to tape just because it was available and I did one project on it and I've you know I mean I've no desire to go back to that kind of linear recording you know kind of strategy where you you know like the the computer world is so much easier for editing and doing everything and really there's you know in my mind I, I just the, all these kind of things just remind me of the horrors of trying to make it work and things like that <laughs> And you'd have a great take, and then you'd discover that the tape machine had gone crazy halfway through, so it just killed the whole take, and, you know. But this is, so the, the whole point of these, this kind of product, though, is that is to that you can avoid all the hassle of having to work that way, but still get some of the sound, sort of, in a modelled sort of way. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> very true, that's very true. Well, right now it's available um, discounted if you're upgrading, so if you've got version 1, you can upgrade now for $20, and... Uh, you can buy it as well. It's $79 at the moment, which I think is like running at half price just for the first couple of weeks. So that's pretty cool. And there's more price reductions from Ableton. Ableton of 25% off all products. As a holiday that, special. Yeah. That's going right away through till January. Uh, and January 15th, yep. Yep. All their software line is there. And it's all 25% off. Woo! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's that's how you say it. Cool. <laughs> Should we get onto another challenge? There's another another remix competition here. Okay, let's go with it. Yeah. Oh, this is a cool re well, it's a cool remix, isn't it? But I have some interesting comments on this. So it's a uh, the Queen song, Don't Stop Me Now, and this is a fully fully endorsed kind of remix competition being run by Talent House. So um Brian May, Roger Taylor will actually yep. be on, on the panel selecting the winner. And they, and they and and they will own the the winning piece, of course. Well, I was going to get to that bit in a minute. Sorry, let's, let's do the positive bits. So, and and basically, the challenge is to do a re to do a remix of "Don't Stop Me Now." Um, they've made all the the main stems are available, so you can get all the main stems to remix them as you want to. Um, and the prizes there are some cool prizes, aren't there? Yeah, I had a list of so, prizes. I've lost them. There's well, there's a host choice. So by a main. Others, as you said, um, will select what they think is the best, and so you'll get global exposure for that, as, along with a bunch of goodies, I suppose you could say, relating to the 40 Years of Queen celebration stuff, which is this is connected to, as well as um, some avid yeah, gear. And... 10 plus an M-Box, $1,000. $1,000. Then there's also a people's choice. Um, so this will be voted on the internet, and you win a bunch of stuff. Similar, but not as much stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Now, I think, is it is it under the participate? Because we should have a little look here. Um, I remember reading, because as people, you know, 
we we hope that we add value to to these things because we we sometimes wonder where we should talk about them, don't we, on the show? But we we talk about them, but we hope to add value by highlighting the parts of it that kind of tend to be hidden away at the bottom. So whenever I see this, these kind of things, Sam's, I don't know about you, but I immediately go and have a look at the official rules. Perhaps not immediately, but it's, I definitely don't leave till I have. Yeah. Because uh, we, we, if we're going to mention stuff on the audio on the show here, I think we have to, you know, it's right that people well, expect us to have checked my, these things. My favorite line on, under official rules is the is the last is the third third and last bullet point, which says, "Queen has the right, but not the obligation, to use the winning submission." That that's nice. I I like the the very first uh, bullet point. In order to be order to be chosen as the winner, the selectus, the selected finalist shall grant ownership of all rights in and to the intellectual property to the winning submission to Queen. How about yep. that? I thought that was nice as well. That's that's pretty cool. But don't don't worry, Queen will let you use your submission for portfolio purposes. Which is very generous of them. It is. But so these stems are on SoundCloud by the look of it. Yeah, <clears> indeed so. You can yeah. download them on a time there. I guess, is there a way of downloading a whole set of these, or would you have to do them one at a time? I'm not that familiar with SoundCloud. Well, you... I, I, mean, I poke around, but I've never tried to download nine stems before. No, I've, I've never tried to do that either, but you can definitely hit download. All the all the nine stems are there ready to go, so you could just hit download on all of them. Yeah, and I guess you might not want them all. Anyway, you might just choose to take the vocal or something, you know? Yeah. Who knows? I know. Well, you know, let, <laughs> let's face it. It's a great opportunity to see the stems. To get a listen to the stems, which is pretty cool, in in isolation anyway, isn't it? And you know, it's it's a good competition, and as as always, just you know, if you're familiar with the rules and you're happy with the rules as they are, and you want to take part, then take part. It'd be awesome. Yeah, and December the thirteenth is the submit by date on that. Awesome. There we go. Shall we move on again then? Yeah. Cool. Hey, TC uh, Hellion makes the season bright with free microphones. So it's basically what you would expect. If you buy something, you can get a free microphone on a rebate. They're calling it a holiday rebate. So yeah, you buy an effects processor. Well, they're all voice effects pedals, aren't they? Basically voice yeah. processing things. Buy one of them and they'll throw in a microphone. I um, For some reason, maybe it was after reading that about the RIAA. Maybe I was like in a bit of a funny mood, but... When I saw the word rebate, it kind of like got my back up a bit. I wasn't quite sure exactly what that meant. So I looked up in the dictionary, and the dictionary definition for that is a partial refund to someone who has paid too much. <laughs> there we go. That's to, what the dictionary says about what a rebate is. So, To, to throw it into context <laughs> for the international audience, having the, the, it, this would be kind of an American-focused kind of promotion. So the Americans are much more used to purchasing... Uh, tech, technology equipment with rebates. So basically, you you buy the piece of equipment and then you can go direct to the manufacturer for a rebate on the price you've paid, which is a refund, which would be a refund. So in this case, the uh, the microphone or whatever the the value of the microphone that you've purchased. So it's it, it's it's a way of um it, it's it's a way of manufacturers kind of being able to offer a promotion without having to get involved with their kind of reselling partners. That's that's kind of what they exploit them for. That makes sense. There you go. Thank you for that level-headed response to my provocation there. Yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. It, 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 I just wanted, you know, it's it's the kind of thing where if you buy the pedal, you you're quite likely to have to buy the mic, but you'll probably get a, you know, get a get a form to fill in, and if you fill in the form, you'll get the money back for the mic, sort of style. If it's yep, you know, that, yeah. you you would get a free mic, but you might have to do something else in the middle of it. 
And obviously, part of the way that, yeah, that's how it is, an email rebate, print the coupon, yeah. So it's it's a print a coupon kind of thing. And you get it from there, so, you know. And that's valid for anything that was purchased between the 15th of this month and Christmas. Cool. Yep. Yay. Because it's <laughs> almost Christmas. It is. Yep. Next month's the first month of, next week's the first week of Advent. It is. It's the 21st of November today for us, so... Let's, yeah, there you go. Let's get to the end of the show and then discuss Christmas, just for fun. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I think we have, well, one more item and some plunder. I think is that right? Yeah, it's, it's just a short show today, which is okay. You know, it's last That's couple good, have been yeah. a little bit long, and we had some... We've, we're two people short today, so... <clears throat> yeah. It's not surprising we've moved through it quickly. You see, this is the, the efficient audio podcast show. <laughs> How about it? This is an awesome piece of kit, though. I'm sure it'll be familiar to a lot of people here, but the Yamaha O1s... Um, yeah, O1V. O1V, we got um, an, an upgrade to it. Uh, so it's now the 96i, which is pretty cool. And the 96i is putting a USB 2 interface onto onto it. So you got a 16-track USB 2 interface built into the, built into the mixer. Yep. It's and you still have... Yeah, and that, this is not available just yet. This is be out at the start of next year. First, first quarter of 2012. And to be, to be honest, this is this isn't for me an unexpected. It's not really an unexpected product, I don't think. But I'm glad that it has arrived in in this kind of way, if that makes sense. As a like O1Vs are you know all over the place, and 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 they're great kind of nice mixers to use, nice and stable. And putting in a multi track, you know, building a multi track interface inside it is. It is a, is a good is appropriate step for Yamaha to take, I think, because a lot of the kind of competitors in that space obviously had started doing that anyway. Yamaha had started doing it in their kind of lower targeted gear that, yeah. that we talked about. So it, it making it into one of the higher level digital mixers makes perfect sense. And you know, there it is. It's cool. And um, it ships with Steinberg's Cubase AI, which would probably be version six at the moment. And um, yeah. yeah. With my experience with that is that they do integrate really easily. So the, the 16 channels will have all templates and things, and it will plug in quite nicely. But, I, but it would to anything. Also, Yamaha are very good at um, their routings, very flexible. So with it, just within the hardware, I mean. So having the the in out of the computer going into the same unit would probably allow you to do some pretty interesting stuff with outboard gear within a digital session context perhaps oh that's interesting you see I, I was sitting here thinking i wonder if how i wonder how much of it is hard set up so that you're just going to get your 16 channels you're, you're basically get 16 channels in 16 channels out onto the desk and then from there it'd be a matter of you know but then if you can you can root internally on the desk so perhaps it will work like that as well as a... okay oh, that'd be Oh, we have people arriving home. That's okay. We're almost at the end of the show, guys, so it's fine. Um, cool. Should, so we, should, should we go, go to on? the plunder? Yeah, let's go to the plunder. You guys... Um, yeah, so the plunder is something that I came across this week called... Um, 20 Hertz. 20 Hertz. Um, it's a... Well, it's online as a five-minute video on Vimeo. Um, and it's being displayed in Barcelona at the Invisible Fields exhibition. Cool. And they're taking data from the Charisma project.
project, which is something to do with the Canadian Space Agency, taking data from the upper atmosphere, is it? Where? Yeah. So, and I think the 20 hertz, I think that the data was captured at a frequency of 20 hertz. So 20 times per second, they were measuring stuff to do with the solar wind. I'm not explaining this very well, but the video itself is this data that's being sonified and then the sound is being used in a kind of cymatic sort of way so that you get visual structures coming from the same stuff as the sound or simultaneously. Have a look. That's, yep. Yeah, it's very cool. I like it. <laughs> that's very cool. Well, I think that's as, uh, that's as made it to the end of the show. It's been a short and sweet one, but I don't think that matters. I like that. Yep. I think that's fine. Cool. So, we, uh, so, as always, the show notes are available at wiki.theaudiopodcast.co.uk. Um, if you want to hang out with us, we actually record the show for a Google Hangout. So, um, you know what I mean? If you, you can find the audio podcast on Google+, and from there you could um, you know, join us for a hangout. If you want to, on a Monday, 7 p.m., uh, GMT, I guess we're at. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Very cool. Okay, I, th I think that's us there, then. Um. Yep. All right. That's then. all. That's <laughs> all. Okay then. Well, let's uh, let's say goodbye to the recording because I'm going to turn Ooh. it off then. Goodbye, goodbye recording. Goodbye. Bye.